Mark chapter 8 this morning. We'll begin reading in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. But I want to say thanks again for, for coming today. It's my prayer, and it's always my prayer, to, that our experience here together brings us all closer uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's, that's why we're here this morning. We're here to worship Him. And I know that uh, many times we come to be fed, and that is a byproduct of the sermon, that is a byproduct of our fellowship here. But our, our main goal is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ in worship. And I, I mentioned this already, as stated earlier in, in the introductions, but there's this, you know, this, this Bible reading thing downstairs. Please, please, or, or outside, outside the foyer here, please jump in with us. I truly challenge you. Uh, to join in even reading with us today. I mean, just forget about uh, what you've missed already in the last couple of uh, weeks, if you, if you have missed it, and, this, and just join us where we're at. Uh, it's important, I think, that we're all reading the same thing, and I'm not trying to replace whatever other devotions you have, uh, but just to, to join in with us as a church to read, to study, and to grow together. I promise uh, it, will be, it will be rewarding to you. Uh, it's rewarding to me, and there are some folks that in our church that have already done it and uh, are, that are doing it, and they say it's also rewarding. So I, I ask you to do that with us. Uh, for example, today's sermon is actually from Tuesday's reading this past week, and uh, again in Mark chapter 8. We're going to begin reading right there in verse 27. So let's just go ahead and turn to the Word this morning. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. The Bible says, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea and Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, along the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Verse 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and of scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he, began that saying, and he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned, that's Jesus, he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed, and when he cometh in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've already seasoned this morning with prayer, Lord. I pray that even now that all of our hearts are, are ready for you. Lord, we see you already in, in your right place in the throne of our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to focus on the text this morning. Help us to focus on your son, Jesus Christ. Whatever was before us this morning and, and, and in the past week and whatever is ahead of us, Lord, as we, as we march into this next week, Lord, I pray, Lord, 
that we can just put those things and those thoughts aside for a moment and just see you, Christ alone. Lord, help us to, to do these things this morning. Hide me behind the words, hide me behind your cross, and at the same time, Lord, help me to surrender and be a mouthpiece and be a messenger for you. Lord, we thank you for the words you've given us this morning. Lord, help us as we understand them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we've already read here, the, the passage here records the well-known and great confession of Peter. We've all heard that. We've all read that before. Thou art the Christ. Now, if you were to read Matthews, he, he adds that, thing on, uh, that phrase on the end, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the word Christos, uh, Christ is Christos in the Greek, and it's linked to the word Messiah in the Old Testament as in the one who would come along and deliver Israel. I mean, let's face it, we, when we study through the New Testament, and, and especially the Old Testament, we see that the Jews were looking for a deliverer. Now, Jesus is that deliverer, of course, but not in the kind of the mindset they were looking for. So they believed that there would be one who would ultimately deliver Israel, and that's a true statement, and that's what Peter and the others believed. But at verse 31, kind of changed at least at first, or at least contrasted what Peter thought. Look at verse 31. He says, But Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and in three days rise again. That's contrary to what we would think of as a deliverer. You know, when, they, when Alexander the Great come, conquered, when he left Macedonia and went through the known world, you know, he didn't conquer that by dying. He conquered that by, by leading and all those other things here. But that's an earthly king. Jesus is way greater than Alexander, the not-so-great, if you will. But as we follow along with the text here, we see that as they're walking along, Jesus asks them, who do men say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ. And Jesus tells them, well, in so many words, that's true, but I will be, I will be rejected. I will suffer for this, and I will be killed. And Peter, it seems at that time, kind of takes him off to the side almost and rebukes him kind of semi-privately. You kind of see the crowd there and, and Jesus as maybe the leader of the apostles or the self-appointed leader kind of pulling Jesus. You know, this is, this, this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. But Jesus didn't respond privately. He used this as a teaching opportunity and he respond, responded openly. In verse 33... He says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. That had to hit Peter right between the eyes, so to speak. And he probably didn't grasp the seriousness of his previous statement, that it was contrary to the very will of God. So Jesus uses this opportunity and he begins to make something to Peter and the others there abundantly clear. And I hope to convey that clarity this morning. See, Jesus begins to talk about what it truly means to be one of his disciples. And as we, again, look at the text this morning, I ask that you don't be too hard on Peter. He makes a lot of mistakes in the text, does he not? But probably not as much as we. But yes, he was out of line for rebuking his master. That is something that you just don't do to a rabbi in that culture. And yes, he wanted something outside of the will of God. But in his desires, in this text here, he represents 
much of Christianity today to want something against the will of God. You see, Mark's first recorded words of Jesus are in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and Jesus comes along and says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. See, the mention of the kingdom earlier in this, in, before Mark chapter 8, would have sparked excitement in the, hear, in the ears of Peter and in every, any devout Jew because they knew that God would eventually deliver Israel. They, they were looking for that. And Peter wanted Israel to be delivered. He even believed, I think we can take, make this assumption here, he even believed that Jesus would be that deliverer. But he wanted a kingdom without the cross. He wanted a kingdom without the cross, and that just isn't possible. It was not possible for Jesus, no more than it was possible for Peter. If there was no cross, there would be no crown and no kingdom. And if I can put it this way, the same is true of our discipleship, of our following Jesus. I want to share with you a few truths about discipleship this morning. In fact, that's the title of this message this morning, True Discipleship. True discipleship. Life-changing discipleship. Altering, direction-altering discipleship. Nation-changing discipleship. And this is one of those sermons that should really hit home to all of us. And while God, I believe, has given me the, the, the power to preach this message with conviction, I'm sitting here with you, maybe even on the front row. And I'm going to be honest with you that by saying that this sermon is, is one of those sermons that hit home, that hits home, it has already challenged me. Not just this morning, but yesterday morning, the morning before that, and so on. It's challenged me to look at my own life and to see what my discipleship is. Am I following Christ the way Jesus expects his followers to follow him? It's challenged me to bring my own discipleship in light, in light of the scripture. I want to invite you in this challenge. You see, in the text here, this is shocking to me, with only 12 words, with only 12 words, and he put all those 12 words together, it's really 15 syllables. Jesus commands three things. And that if we were honest, it would shake us to the core if we believe to be Jesus, if we believe Jesus is our master. It should shake us. These three simple commands, all in one verse, that if followed, would radically change our lives, I promise. Radically change our lives. And in turn, it would probably radically change this community. It would turn it upside down. True discipleship. Notice again verse 34. The Lord's word specifically in verse 34. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's a powerful verse. I want to take the time to talk about what it means this morning about coming after Christ. He says, come after me. As mentioned already in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But immediately after that, he goes to his disciples and says, come after me. 
come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And back in our text here in Mark chapter 8, in verse 34, we read that coming after Christ, to come after Christ, includes some things. I mean, very clearly, we see that right there in the text. Denying self, taking up our cross, and following Him. That's what it means to come after Christ. So number one this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to deny self. Again, this is not one of those those fun messages, but there is victory in this message. There is victory in these words. There is power in these words. Notice the whosoever in verse 35, the next whosoever. Verse 35 says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. In other words, whosoever puts himself or anything else before Christ in this life will eventually lose the life that he seems so dear, or is so near and dear to him now. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Now I realize, I will be up front right here, I will realize that that's a radical thought today, is it not? It's radical to say, Jesus all, in Christ alone we sing, but it's radical to live that out. It's contrary to the world, it's contrary to self to put Christ first. In Christ alone. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Far removed from our way of thinking today. Far removed from my way of thinking. But this is indeed the first step of discipleship. It is the first step of true discipleship. Strong's concordance defines deny as to forget one's self. To lose sight of one's self and to lose sight of one's interest, one's own interest. To deny self. Matthew elaborates a little bit more on this subject in, uh, in Matthew chapter 10. You can turn there, but I have it up here on the slide here. Matthew writes, recording the Lord's words by saying, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Those are bold words. These are our Savior's words. You know, it's been said before, all the epistles from Peter and Paul and John, all of those are commentary for the Lord's words. They're really just expounding on what Christ has already taught us and taught them. Luke's words, he even records this. His words are a little stronger. Look at these words. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters. Yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are crazy words. But true words. Friends, these are bold words. These words are Christian mountaintops of commitment. Mountaintops. For the record, I want to point out that Luke's rendering of our Savior's words are what is called in the English language a hyperbole, a great contrast, an exaggerated contrast to show emphasis. The difference is the difference in our love for Christ compared to our love for self is overstated. That contrast is overstated for interest. We are not to hate our family and friends or even our own life, but there should be a world of difference between what we do for Christ and what we do for self. 
And what we do for Christ and what we do for our spouse or our children or our family or our careers or anything like that, what we do for Christ should be much greater. A world of difference. Look again back in our text at verse 33. Jesus says, But when he turned about and looked on the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Of course, Peter didn't want him to go to the cross. He says, Get, me, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God. So Peter's actions on the cover, I believe, may appear that his concern was for the welfare of Jesus Christ. No friend of mine is going to be suffered or rejected in going to the cross. But at the core of this, it's a fleshly desire. How do we know that? The Lord tells us. It's rooted in self. Not my master, Peter says. Far be it from you, he says in another gospel. It's not my desire that you would do these things. But the Lord says, Thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men, rooted in self. You desire the things of men, Peter. If you want to come after me, you must deny the things of men. You must deny those things. You must deny self and self-interest. And that word savorist is a unique word to savor. Peter savored the things of men and not the things of God. Put another way, Peter minded the things that be of men and not of God. In fact, that word, the word used for savers means to be minded or to be of the same mind. Peter had the mind of a man and not the mind of God. And of course, we hear that. We're like, of course he had the mind of a man. He is a man like we are, right? Of course he had the mind of a man. But that's the whole point. To be a true disciple of Christ, that old man must be gone must be crucified. What we savor must be denied. Our mind must be denied. We must deny self. We must deny the mind of man and replace it with the mind of Christ. The same word used here for savorist is used in a very popular passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if we were to read through Philippians, and we might turn there later on, but if we were to read through the complete part of the, that chapter, we would see that Jesus lived the perfect example of denying self. Of denying self. He emptied himself of his glories for one, but in life he emptied himself of any human desire, and, any, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross which leads us right into the next stage of discipleship. Notice again our Savior's words recorded in verse 34. He says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny self and take up his cross. So, number one, deny self. Number two, we must carry our cross. Now, this obviously goes a little further than denying self, right? It's the crucifixion of self. And to be clear, this isn't about suicide. That would be a gross misrepresentation of Scripture. And I understand the trauma and all those things that accompany suicide is real and powerful. But in the end, suicide is self-serving. This is about killing the old man that should already be dead in Christians. Jesus is saying that a true disciple of his must take up his cross and follow him. Now, we're going to speak more about following him. That's the, that's the third, port here, third point here this morning. But... In the text here, in the grand scheme of the New Testament, where is Christ going? If we're going to follow him, where is he going? 
He's going to Calvary. He's going, he's carrying his own cross. He's going to the garden. He's going to be crucified. That's what it means to carry our cross. And verse 31 tells us that he began to teach them that he must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders, be killed, and after three days rise again. The Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. Now, praise God, Jesus did this in our stead. He paid all there is for our sin. We don't have to pay any debt to get to heaven. We just must, we just must only receive the gift that he gives us. But he did this because he loves us, and quite frankly, we could not do it. But that's his life is what it means to carry one's cross, to follow his example, to be ready to suffer, to be ready to suffer for us today, to be rejected and even be killed. But I want to take this to a different level this morning. Spiritually speaking, our calling is greater than the physical. The calling to carry our cross is the high calling to be crucified with Christ. In fact, by faith, this is even part of our salvation. In Romans 6, 6, Paul wrote, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Paul goes even further in Galatians chapter 5 by saying, they that are of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. These are words that you just don't hear every day. But these are our Lord's words. Look again at verse 35. What does he say again? Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. I'm afraid many of us from time to time have lost our way when it comes to carrying our cross. I'm guilty. But that's exactly what's needed today. Christians, to carry their crosses. You and I are called to bring our bodies into subjection to the Spirit and carry that old man, our flesh, our desires, and all that we are, carry it to our Calvary, if you will. We must crucify self. Listen, Peter desired the opposite of what God desired. The opposite. And as we read through the New Testament and even through the Gospels, we know that he eventually got to a point where he crucified those desires. And he carried his own cross. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down. But I don't think it mattered to Peter anymore. Because at that point, he had long ago crucified the flesh. It didn't matter anymore. And this is a must for us. This is a must for us to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. We can desire all we want. We can even fill our lives with all those earthly desires, even exchange it for the world, even gain the world. But what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What point is it? This is just a, our 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, however we length, just to drop in the bucket for eternity. To trade that 80 years for eternity, it's ridiculous. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Before we move on, really, to our last point this morning, not real long here this morning, have you been to Calvary? Have you personally been to Calvary and let go of all of self to receive the Savior? Have you repented of yourself and sin and returned to Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Have you realized 
that this world's things are temporary. I like technology. I like messing with things. I like driving cars. I like the Autobahn. All of those things, but they're nothing without Christ. They're nothing. All of that is going to go away. All the things in this world are temporary. And if we live for the temporary, this is your best life. This is it. There's nothing greater than what you have right now if you live for the temporary. This is the closest you will ever get to heaven. If you are a believer, this is the closest you'll ever get to hell. Praise God. If you're not a believer, all of that can change a moment, even right now. No works are required. By grace through faith are you saved. Romans 10, 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I've heard this say, you heard me say this before. I love that passage. It's simple, clear. You do this, then that. I confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I'm saved. Not because of anything I do, but because the word tells me so. Praise God. Have you been to Calvary? Are you carrying your cross? Christian, is the old man really dead? Have you crucified the flesh with the affections and lust? Jesus said, whosoever will come after me, let him take up his cross. Again, this is contrary to human nature. Contrary. Taking up the cross requires denial of self. Think of Abraham headed to Mount Moriah. Thinking of our Lord marching to Calvary. These are not actions of the human will. They're actions of the divine. They reflect a complete surrender of the human will and the crucifixion of self. Put another way, if you understand this a different way, in, 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 in the light of Christ on earth, his whole life was a crucified life. He did not yield to the flesh at any moment. He lived a crucified life even before he got to the cross. That is our calling, to live a crucified life. Paul wrote in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. True discipleship, true authentic discipleship requires the denial of me, the denial of self, and the death of self. And then, and only then, only then can we enter fully into stage number three, which is following Christ. The other two must occur. Notice again our Savior's words in verse 34. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny self, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Now, as we've been going through this passage here, I truly hope you've seen the progression of Peter, or maybe the progression of your own self. We begin this, this sermon with us associating ourselves with Peter in, that, in, in, in him living that opposed life to the will of God, fully entrenched in his own desires. Us, for a moment, take a mental journey, go back to there. We're fully entrenched with what we want. I want this, I want that. It's like that kid song. What's that? Give me, give me a breath or something like that. Anybody want to sing that? <laughs> but we're like that sometimes. Even as adults, we, just, as adults, we, want, we want what we want. But let's go there for a moment, and I know everybody's not like that, but pretend you want just what you want. I know that's not true of any of us here, but let's just pretend what we want, what we want for a moment. We're right there with Peter, and what we want is contrary 
to the Word of God. That's where we act. Because all of us, from time to time, even as believers filled with the Spirit of God, albeit quenched, are just like Peter, savoring not the things of God. But as to be expected in the text here, Jesus for Peter, the Holy Scriptures for us, goes right to the heart of the matter. Goes right to the problem of self. Our Lord's get thee behind me statement, while identical to what he said to Satan in the wilderness, we talked about last week or the week before last, could very well be a contrast to his following command. Replying to Peter here, look in the text, he says, whosoever will come after me. This is unique. This is a, this is a contrast here. It's the same Greek word in both sentences. In fact, behind me and after me are the exact same words. But used differently to, for different emphasis. So at first, Peter, whose name means rock, Petros, right? The rock, the confession and all those things like that. He becomes a stumbling stone. The rock becomes a stumbling stone in the way. And Jesus' words are similar to, get out of the way. You're a rock in the way to the cross. You're opposing the things of God. Get out of the way. Get thee behind me. Get thee behind me, Satan. Get off the path. But unlike his conversation to the devil in Matthew chapter 4 and other places in the wilderness, Jesus goes a little farther with Peter. See, in, in the wilderness, he says, get thee behind me, Satan, and Satan eventually leaves. But here with Peter, he says, get thee behind me, and he invites him to follow him. There is a contrast here. In other words, he is telling Peter to get on the right path. Get out of the way and get here. Follow me. Come after me. Don't be an obstacle to the will of God. Come after me, Jesus invites. And then he tells him how to do so. So there we are. So he's against the will of God. We're against the will of God. We desire what we want to desire. And he says, get out of the way. So we need to get out of the way. And then in verse 34, he says, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So we begin with self. That's the first stage. We're there. And the first stage is to deny self. The second, the second stage is to carry our cross, to pick up our cross, ultimately to Calvary, to the crucifixion of self. So if you're following along with me, which I hope you are, I hope it's coming across clear, at this point of the process, what is the status? What, what is your status? Are you alive or dead? At first you were very alive in the old man, and then Jesus says, get out of the way, so now I'm denying self, now I'm death to self, I'm just spiritually dead, if you will. Right? I'm, I'm a dead man. That's where I'm at right now. That's part of the process. We're dead. Dead to self. And if this is done right, we're an empty glass. We, were, we used to be a glass full of self-desires, worldly desires, and now it's empty. It's gone. Maybe it's even an entire different glass. Dead to self. No desires. No future. No purpose. No life. Interesting. Now we cannot stay here long. It's impossible for us to stay there long. A misunderstanding of this stage results in a number of errors. Monastic lifestyle, excluding yourself from the world. A misunderstanding of this stage could drive us into a depression or maybe even to a vow of poverty. It, or we could rebound and go further and just go the opposite way with luxury and lust and all those things like that. 
But we don't have to stay there because Jesus doesn't stay there. He was dead in the grave, but he lives. Jesus does not stop there, nor does he want us to stop there. After the denial of death and self physically and spiritually, all that Jesus was, he come out of the grave. So there we are. We're denying self. We're dead. We're like laying on the ground spiritually. And Jesus says, follow me. Follow me to a dead man, he says this. Follow me. Dead men, dead men following Christ. Dead to self and alive in Christ. Remember, Jesus is our greatest example. And there is life. This is a shocker, right? There's life after the cross. There's life after our cross. We must crucify ourselves. Jesus emptied himself. Matter of fact, let's, let's go to Philippians 2. I said we might go there. Let's just, let's just turn there. Philippians chapter 2. Again, Jesus is our greatest example. He emptied himself of his glories. He emptied himself of any human desire that he might have had. Look at verse 4. It says, Let or look not every man on his own things, but every man according, or every man also on the things of others. Verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which we've already mentioned here. Let this mind be in you, which is the same word as savor, savor the things of God. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That means he emptied himself. The famous kenosis passage, for those of you who like studying in the Greek there, he took, himself, or took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. God and the Lord walked out of that grave. He is risen. Praise God, he is risen. As we approach Christmas and Easter and all those things, we serve a risen Savior. He lives. And because of that, you and I can live. We can live. And in that life, we are to follow him. It makes it makes, it's not good English, but it makes no sense to be dead to self, denying self, and to live in Christ, but not live for Christ. I mean, it, when Jesus says, follow me, it kind of implies that we should follow him. Follow him. As dead men, dead to self, alive to Christ. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 19 and 20, he says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To put it plainly, only the dead in Christ can follow Christ. It doesn't happen any other way. Only the dead in Christ can follow Christ. And while there may be some, seem like some reasons in this world to not follow him, there are none. And Jesus kind of alludes to that there in verse 38. He says, whosoever, there shall by, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Be all in. 
You see, Peter initially wanted victory, the delivery of Israel, him being a part of it. He wanted that delivery, that victory, at no cost to self. He wanted freedom without a fight. He wanted redemption without a redeemer, a kingdom without a king, and the crown without a cross. He wanted salvation his way. He wanted deliverance his way. And he wanted to follow Jesus his own way. But it doesn't work that way. Jesus said in Matthew 10.24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his door. We can't expect anything different in our life than what the Lord expected in his. True discipleship costs something. It always does. May I encourage you this morning to not be your own stumbling block. We are on our way to our Calvary. We're carrying our cross, and many times we're in our own way. Don't be a stumbling block, but come after Christ. Follow Christ. True discipleship requires the denial of self, the carrying of your cross, in order to follow Christ. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple? Let's pray.